Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico, your CEO of SourceFind Asia, Coast to Main Channel Podcast, and the host of the SourceFind Asia YouTube channel. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you're staying safe as countries around the world start to reopen their doors and, and businesses and, and shops. Here in the Philippines specifically, we were in ECQ for the past two and a half months, which was an enhanced community quarantine, which was pretty pretty strict. I think probably one of the strictest globally. You know, we weren't allowed visitors. I think for people like me and BGC, it was definitely easier than, you know, some of these other places. But, you know, basically the only things that were open were essential businesses like grocery stores and convenience stores. Even online shopping was down. Like Lazada is the the Amazon of, of Southeast Asia and that wasn't they weren't doing deliveries. So same thing with Shopee. And yeah, we weren't allowed new visitors in our in our condos. You weren't allowed to leave your district unless you had some special pass if you worked for maybe an essential business or you know you're like a government employee or you know something like that that was that was crucial otherwise i mean we 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 found ways to get around then <laughs> when you you know the right people we found ways to to get in and out of bgc but it was yeah it was that that crazy uh i mean i literally didn't leave my apartment i remember for like six weeks at some stage until i got a dog and he kind of because he has to go out three times a day and even more than that if i if i'm at the first couple of weeks when he was um two months old it just kind of forced me to start taking walks um so I, I i got outside which is probably the best thing that i did and yeah okay so that was the situation now the gcq is a little bit lighter um they've slowly been opening up the malls there are you know uh, clothing stores open, furniture stores open, but it's very limited. You have to practice social distancing. They limit the amount of people that are allowed inside in one moment. It, it just it slowly feels like it's coming back to normal. I, I mean, I'm in this WeChat a WhatsApp group with uh, expats in BGC, and they're sh- posting pictures and video of people actually sitting down in restaurants and having a meal. You know, everything was takeout for three months, so. It's a, it's a positive sign, even though I know that the infection rates are spiking again. I just think from an economic standpoint, I don't know how many countries can sustain, you know, such a strict lockdown. You know what I mean? So, you know, there's going to be some sacrifices that have to be made because at some stage you have to weigh out. I, I was listening to an economist talk about this and he was like, at some stage you have to weigh out the damage that you do from allowing more people to be outside in terms of the infections and the stress that's put on hospitals and the mortality rates versus the damage that you do from the economic standpoint which can also have similar effects right like people are not working they're not making money they don't have savings they go into starvation people get desperate if the government can't provide you know housing and 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 food and and you know basic supplies it can actually have similar effects to to uh, you know a pandemic you know the the longer it goes the worse it gets and then it also takes a very long time to recover from from that from the you know the business sector like i mean in, in bgc itself uh, there's so many restaurants and and service place service-based businesses that have gone out of business uh, i think it's probably the same worldwide and then you have to question all those people that were working in these places that were making you know in the philippines probably minimum wage around let's say three four hundred dollars a month I don't think any of these people had savings, you know. I think a lot of people have had to go back home 
and live with their family you know outside of the city so they could save money on rent and 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 you know be supported by the families but not every, even in that case not everybody has that option right so these are the things we have to sort of th- take into consideration as we move into a less strict quarantine that being said let me not hijack the pause <laughs> this is like what did a fucking long tangent so this episode is the third part of an episode that I did with John Graham Harper the third episode that we've done with John Graham Harper following his case um if you haven't listened to the first two I highly recommend you go listen to them um so basically John Graham, Graham Harper was scammed in China um in a using the Chinese le- legal system a business friend of his ended up you know allowing him gave him a loan and then basically used that loan to sue John Graham Harper and then you know didn't inform him that he was suing him and he ended up getting a travel ban so he was stuck in China um and he had lost the case without knowing that he lost the case that's why he ended up getting a travel ban so we basically talk about the the conclusion of the case in this episode and you know what the next steps are for him So yeah, without further ado, enjoy this episode. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. Well, I guess since we actually did an interview last time, we had the update, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's been a while since we've done an update. Did we get an update in? Like, say, yeah, I think the last update was when you'd won the the appeal to reopen the case, and then yeah, that was the last update. That that would have been like that would have been like two or three months ago. Okay, about two three months ago, I updated everyone. You and your business partner had recorded recorded an audio that you sent to me. Ah, uh, that's right. Yes, yeah. So basically, that um, yeah, the stage we were at then is just telling everyone that we are waiting for this appeal to go through. But it looked promising because of what the judges, uh, sorry, what the lawyers were saying and the amount of evidence that we had. Everything looked really promising. So you know, I think it was. We were just like, oh, it's only a matter of time. I think that was the overall, <laughs> the overall feeling, right? We thought we had it in the bag. It was just a matter of time before it came together. But sad to say, no. <laughs> was not. Uh, yeah. So you were saying it was just a matter of time. That's how we felt that last time. That was yeah. sort of the the update. Was just, you know, we're confident. Um, you know, this is in the bag. Justice will be served. You know, good will prevail. Mm-hmm. The good guy always wins. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. So what happened exactly? For the long story short, and then I can go back and I can, can explain a bit more. About let's say three weeks ago, I got a notification from the lawyers that the judges, after deliberating for the, the you know this period of time they decided they said no that we're going to reject your appeal and the reason they had rejected the appeal was based on procedure it was because I I didn't um, uh, the period of time that I had in order to 
do this kind of appeal action to get a case reopened, I, that time had already passed. So like the, the exact word, how much time do you have? Oh, like the actual time frame that a person has to do the action that we did was, is only six months. So the exact words from the lawyer were, were um, hi, John, we received a decision on your application for retrial this morning. And we are sorry to inform you that the application has been denied. The court rejected the retrial application primary on the ground that it was not brought within the period stipulated by the relevant statute, which would be within six months of the effective date of judgment. So, so that means, I guess, after the verdict was declared, and had I known about this verdict, and this, this verdict was sent out to me, and if, had I known about I would have had six months to perform this action to try to get the retrial. So yeah, just to, just I guess for some people that might not obviously I'll tell people to listen to the first two episodes before they come and listen to this but so basically you had the verdict that you didn't know about um they declared that you're liable to to pay back that guy and then how long do you know how long it was until like when the verdict was made versus when you found out about the situation at the airport? Oh it, it was it was over a year. It was over a year because yeah, like the, the, um, the verdict. So say there's like, uh, you know, there's a hearing I'm trying, like they, they tried to call me. Let's say I didn't answer my phone. I didn't know the number. Right. So they, maybe they would have given like, say three attempts to make the call, like in the, in the space of about, let's say two weeks, maybe I, I would assume this is sort of their procedure. Then they carry on and then they, the, the, the trial, the date is set, the hearing then, you know, the judges deliberate and then there's a, a verdict and a verdict's issued out. And by the time the verdict's issued out, let's say, you know, it, it goes to a, a point where, um, you know, like say there's a verdict and, the, you know, you, you, have, you have the ability to pay, but there would have, wouldn't have been a blacklist. There would, the verdict would not have been, the, the blacklist wouldn't have been, it would have been after the verdict. It would have been after a period of time that I didn't, you know, I didn't action the verdict. So then it would have gone into another phase where, you know, that's when blacklist, um, my name would have been blacklisted. So I'm, I'm assuming like eight, eight, eight months to a year, it would have been at least, I think. Yeah, if I'm looking at the dates and everything, it's actually quite a, there's a, it's a long process. Very, very long process. Just like it was a long process to try to get the trial, to get the case reopened, you know, even to a more superior court is a very, very long, long process. Everything takes so much time. And there's always like some holiday or, well, <laughs> it will. In the case of the retrial, there were, you know, the virus, right? So this delay, delay. Because I was, the reason I was upset with the decision and what the, the decision the judges made was the reason that they, they, didn't they denied the appeal yeah. was basically because I, I missed this certain period of time where I could take this action. You know, the, the lawyer, he says, because uh, I said, is that it? What, what, you know, what does that mean? And he says, yes, that will be the end of the case. Essentially, the court values procedural justice more than substantive evidence. So the judges, they didn't care about the overwhelming amount of evidence that I had to prove I was innocent and that this guy was a scumbag and, and, and um, sued me, you know, wrongfully. That wasn't relevant. The only 
relevant was the procedure that I missed this time frame. So that was that was upsetting a bit, right? Because I was like, oh well, if that was the outcome that you could have told me a year ago, you know, when I applied at the beginning, yeah. they could have. It was already too oh, late. Yeah. You, you know, it's too late. Sorry. You know, move on. Instead, I'm like so waiting all this time. You know, if they said, all right, the reason we're denying you the retrial is because based on these, you know, points, this, this piece of evidence is missing, you know, um, you know, I don't know, just if, if there was some other reasoning, it would make more sense to me, you know, rather than going through all this time and then having the judges say, oh, no, 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 you, you, you know, you, you're past the time frame. It's like, what? I've gone so far. Like, what are you talking about? Should have told me. When I first started, right? Yeah, it's it's tough. So, um, what like what did the were the lawyers able to give you like more insight as to why they didn't tell you this, you know, a year ago when you first started the process? No, not at all. Like a lot of people that I that have told me that that I've talked to the story about, they they um they they don't think that the lawyers had a good handle on the whole situation, and maybe that is the case. Maybe it was. You know, it's a bit of them, you know, not being competent in this kind of a complex situation. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, uh, it could be a million things, right? Lots of things I learned about, I would have expected a lawyer team to have told me during this entire two years. Um, but <laughs> maybe that's just the way it is, right? Maybe if you, you know, you talk to people that have been in similar cases, they're like, oh yeah, dude, the, the judge, the, the, the lawyers are trying to figure it out as well. Like, <laughs> you know, maybe it's the lawyers aren't like, is it, is it that these kind of, but I mean, these kind of cases have happened before, right? So like, is it that the rules aren't clear or the rules change or you know, like, what is that? Is that where the lawyers just aren't, aren't, aren't experienced in something like this specifically? Very, very good question. Like, this is something I definitely wanted to, to, to talk about, to share, to get people's feedback. Like, I know some very competent lawyers, like in Beijing, you know, there's the, the, there's the guy, Dan Harris, I believe his name is, uh, or no, Sam, uh, I forget, Dan Harris, I think, yeah. Some guys are very good. Like, does, he have, does he have a blog? Yeah, the, blog, the China Law Blog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The name sounded familiar. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he's, I think he's put a lot of, he, he's, you know, he's very attention to detail. He may, he kind of looks in and out, but if you ask me in Shenzhen and I'll just speak for Shenzhen, cause this is, this is where, you know, this is where I live. The lawyers here, like there's over like, I think it's six, 6,000 practicing lawyers, like, and they're in, and there's like, um, it, it's an insane amount of lawyers for this city, insane amount of lawyers. So it's, it's very competitive. So lawyer, it's kind of a business. All lawyers, they want, they want some publicity. They want to get into networks. They want to get into WeChat groups. They want to post. They want to, you know, it's, they're marketing themselves, right? Yeah. So you kind of tend to get a lot of lawyers that just say yes, yes, yes to anything. Yes, 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 yes. You know, we, and, and they kind of just figure it out way or they you know call in favors of other lawyers but it's not you know i believe a lot of the lawyers then this is just my opinion i don't want to i don't want to yeah this is just based on the experience of talking to so many lawyers i think a lot of them actually aren't that experienced mm. i think the practice in a lawyer is you figure it out as you go and you get experience on the way 
That's, you know, you, well, I, I, maybe that also has to do with the fact that just generally, you know, uh, the law system in China is also relatively not new necessarily, but just in the in the way they're doing it now. Like, I mean, I I feel I mean, no no offense to anybody that's Chinese listening to us, but like I feel like before it was more about connections and you know your status in the country if you wanted to get certain things done um, and handshake deals behind closed doors, right? Uh, whereas now if, if they're trying to go down the legitimate route, then in that sense, it's a little bit new, right? So there, there probably isn't that many, there probably aren't that many lawyers, especially if, the, if it's competitive like that, that have a lot of experience around this. That's right. It's the law, law is always changing too, right? And just like you said, China is going, is sort of transitioning into, you know, a Guanxi based system where it's turning more and it has to kind of have a, a very set system, no matter who, no matter what, no matter what status, you know, so, and it's kind of always flipping back and forth and morphing and, you know, changing. It's, um, and I, I'm, you know, maybe it's like that everywhere else in the world, you know, connections can get you very far, but I do see a thing that make that when you're choosing a lawyer in Shenzhen, you're choosing one that has really been through the trenches. And that doesn't mean that necessarily he'll be able to know what your case is, but he'll have, he'll have, just like you said, he'll have his relationships. He'll be able to, you know, call favors or get information or it's, it's, it's very much, you, you need a lawyer with, you know, that has been practicing for a while and it has built his network and he can, he, and he can at least assist you um, and be more capable than, than some of these lawyers that are just starting you know, they're, you know, it's kind of like it's the, their first job or their first case. And they're just like, yes, yes, we can do it. We can do it. And they're sort of reading the textbook as they go along. And, but law, just like anywhere else in the world, there's, there's layers, there's layers. There's so many layers behind what, a, you know, what, when you read a statement, you know, there's a million in different interpretations. That's the, that's what basically, <laughs> that's how it works. Right. It's like, yeah. so it's, but anyway, that, that's sort of my opinion. I don't want to, I don't know, I'm kind of, I'm still trying to figure out what, uh, you know, you know, where, you know, where foreigners, are we, are we favored? Are we, is there, is, is it fair? You know, is it equal? I'm, I still really haven't, you know, given my, you know, a full statement on that based on all of this experience. I kind of need to. You can, can I need to process everything? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, uh, it's very easy just to say, ah, oh, that's it. What, you know, it was, you know, the, the system's rigged, you know, it, it doesn't work. It's very easy to go that way. But then I'm, you know, I'm trying to think like, you know, what are all the different variables? Okay. Maybe the lawyers that I did get, maybe they're better at different cases. Maybe they're better in different courts, you know, may, maybe, you know, maybe, yes, the, maybe the, the fact that it was a long time was a compl complex case involving two courts you know, maybe this, you know, I'm kind of trying to find the reasoning around it rather than just saying, ah, oh, you know, I was right. I got all the evidence. That dude's a scumbag. Why the hell, you know, why, why do I have to go through something like this? It's kind of, I'm trying to think, okay, maybe, maybe there's a couple other variables that, you know, contributed to this not going the way I, that it should have gone. Right. Yeah. So then, so what happens now? Because I mean, obviously before, uh, well, you weren't able to leave China. 
Um, is that still the case? And, and, and then I guess you'd have to pay him. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, I've already been paying because the old case, the old case, uh, the verdict has still gone through the process has still continued. Okay. Like I, you know, oh yeah. And I think you mentioned this in the, in the last episode was that they came to one of your, uh, your events. Yes. And were threatening to arrest you. Yeah, real low blow, very unprofessional. But you, I mean, this this guy is an absolute like farmer. He's a he's a can't expect much from someone with like that. But but yeah, I've um I've I have been paying so far. So there actually is about maybe five yeah five six more months of payments left, and then it's done. And once that's done then it's um yeah it's over then it's over mm. finished and that's basically i believe um i apply i say okay look th- this this verdict was addressed i i addressed the case now you need to unblacklist me from the from that that's the that's the process so you're thinking like in 6 months you'll be able to travel outside of china that's right yeah, that's right. What was the total amount again? Uh, the total amount that I have to pay is 360,000. 360,000 RNB, which is roughly 60 RNB to USD. It's about 50,000, almost 50, $50,742 going according to today's rate. So are you are you're paying him like monthly or like is it like a is it how does that work? Yeah, yeah. every month, every month I have to make a payment. I have to make a payment. I've cut it. I've been cutting it up. That was what was agreed on that time when when they all came into my event and they hustled me. A real, um, yeah. That was a that was a that was quite an experience. But that that was the agreement that I managed to secure that night you just pay monthly pay monthly pay monthly so i mean that's unfortunate but i mean at least i guess on the bright side it's it's over and you know you 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 do have a plan uh it's almost done so what happens now in in the sense of like have you do you communicate with this guy at all is it just done through lawyers um and then just in general life and business in China, like what, what, what happens now that the verdict is, is final? Really, this guy is scared of me. He doesn't, doesn't want to talk. He's not capable of, uh, of, yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't like have the ability to converse. He's just he's kind of a, not, not the brightest fellow. Um, I, I just have to put money into an account and that's mm-hmm. it else is dealt by third parties like um the enforcement enforcement um courts um lawyers all of this they do they do all the other work yeah yeah kind of that reminds me the enforcement department tried to charge me they tried to charge me i said oh the enforcement department is actually trying to charge charge me money for um for for like coming after me and making me pay and the mm. lawyers were like yeah you can that. that's that's not that's not legal <laughs> 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 oh, 
okay. Good, good to know. Very, very good to know. Yeah. So I mean, it's 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 like yeah, it's it's more legit than it was, but it's still not a hundred percent legit. Everybody's still gonna try to make some money on the side. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to, um, I'm, I, uh, I'm, I'm sure this, the system. I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's um, completely false, but it does have its holes, and absolutely, um, I, I wouldn't put it past, uh, you know, the plaintiff to have utilized his connections to do what he could do. It's not like could a, could could an expat have have done that? I'm not sure, but I my initial thinking is no, they couldn't have. But what can you do, right? That's just the way the cookie crumbles, right? That's just how it is. You can't. Uh, That's true. You have to, yeah, just roll with the punches. So yeah, that um, actually, I do have one other question. I remember in the first episode that we did. You were you explained the story in terms of, you know, uh, this guy was a sort of partner who was think he was thinking about buying the the gym right, and then in the end you ended up taking a a loan instead because he kind of wanted to start his own his own chain. There were some details about what happened that at the time you said you couldn't talk about because the case was ongoing. Um, do you are you able to talk about it now, or is that something that you still want to wait? to before you start revealing like um the specifics of what happened yeah, yeah. so the uh yeah oh well, well based the lawyers said initially they were like don't um don't talk too much online about this case because it may affect the retrial yeah right it's judges if the judges you know if they if they hear about this they won't like the, the drawing of attention to it, right? So that that was the thing. I I didn't want to talk too much about it, and if I did talk about it, I didn't leave, put names. I didn't talk, you know. I wasn't. I didn't say a lot of details like names and oh oh. And by the way, you know this. You know that certain details that were like it, it was more like it kind of makes the story um, a little bit more newsworthy. You know what yep. I mean? It was yep. like. You know, CNN and, <laughs> and Fox News would would love to jump on and, and hype up. You know, little things like that. But now I'm not so concerned about discussing it. It doesn't really like it doesn't affect anything at this moment. It's like there was um, a time when I was talking with the 7:30 News in Australia, so they wanted to come and do a full story about it, and they. And news, it, they, they want the drama, right? They really want the drama. They want the juicy stuff, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like there was another, there's another partner that was involved in the gym. Uh, there was three of us that was involved in the gym. And this guy, Lord knows, he doesn't like media attention. So when I was talking with the news, uh, like they were like, yeah, you've got to bring out these little details, you know? <laughs> mm. And I know this guy that's this, this, um, this scammer who sued me, he sure as hell doesn't like the media as well. I'm very, I look for media. I like, I like getting my face out and I like talking about stuff. I just, you know, I'm very open, right? So they, they like to hide. So I was very much, you know, I, I had a feeling like, especially when, you know, talking with 730 News and these big, because I was on also the, um, 
the Australian Financial Review, they did a, um, an expose on me as well. Mm. Um, so that, you know, when you, the bigger the media that you go to, the juicier the story has to be in order for it to be newsworthy. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of like what I'm, I'm building up to. I was, even, I was uh, talking with some buddies of mine um, and uh, they were saying, you know, let's put together a little mini documentary and do a full, you know, like Tiger King style, you know, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, get it all out, just put it all out there. So these ideas I'm still sort of thinking about and I'm, you know, as these, as big media come and they want to share, shine a lot of light on the story. I don't, I don't mind. It depends, it depends, you know, or, you know, media is media. So, yeah, it's, it, I don't think it's, it's really like, what's going to happen? Is he going to say, Oh, you know, you're, you're telling everybody what I did to you. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's what happens when you do something that's not right. I have the right to tell everybody about it, you know? You know, and, and are you, if you're going to sue me, I'm just going to bring out all the, if you're going to open up another case uh, against me, I have all this evidence waiting that I put into the retrial that got denied. I can just put all that out, right? So I kind of have a lot of, um, a lot of uh, leverage now. So yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think, what should I do? Should I, you know, blow up the story even bigger, bring out details, well, you know? Well, especially since you have to pay him, it's like on one hand, I think everyone's just going to be interested in the story. Every like I was, um, I just moved to the Philippines, and my roommate, he w had no idea about your story. I hadn't told him about it, but when you sent me the message last week saying, you know, what happened, uh, he was sitting right next to me. So I was like, hey, man, this is this is crazy. And then I explained the story to him, and he was fascinated, right? So he went and he listened to the two episodes that we did. Um. But then I know that for a fact, like the way we structured our first episode, I, I, it was like a follow-up to the one that you did with Michael Michelini. I think this is yeah. one of the stories, especially right now with global climate, with everybody kind of being a little bit more skeptical about China. I think this would be fascinating for a lot of people. And also just in the sense of educating people about you know the the legal processes in China and maybe even being able to to push legislation forward because obviously a big thing with the Chinese government is that they want the rest of the world to perceive them a certain way right so you know if if they get pressure from a global audience in terms of saying hey you know, your legal system isn't where it needs to be when it comes to foreigners um, I think they already started to make those changes. I think this just helps to push it forward. And then for that guy as well, you know, fuck him, I guess. You know, it's like he, he chose to do this and these are some of the consequences. So if he doesn't like the publicity, you know, it's his fault for choosing to, to do this in the first place. That's right. That's right. Exactly right. Yeah, I mean, and hopefully you make some money from the documentary to, to you know, yeah. reimburse yourself for the, the stuff that you made. Yeah. Up. Yeah, I mean your your audience listening now. If anybody wants to comment, give me give me some uh, advice. What I should do? Let me know. Should I just should I should I go bigger? You know, maybe even you know produce an ebook. <laughs> <laughs> well, how would uh, they would reach you mostly through Instagram? Yeah, yeah, just or just um, yeah, the JG Show on Apple Podcasts. 
and my Instagram is yeah, just on Graham Harper. So, yeah, when, when did you launch the podcast? Oh, I launched a podcast quite a while ago, but it's kind of something that, you know, it, it, I started off really rough, really, really rough. <laughs> so it was, I'm the kind of guy I like to learn as I go. I don't really get it perfect the first time. I kind of, you know, I sort of just start producing. I start creating. And then as I go along, it's, I refine it. That's kind of my, the, my way of doing things. Mm-hmm. So only, only now is the podcast getting, is getting crazy. It's getting, it's, you know, it's turning into something interesting worth, worth the, but it's, it's, I, I just want, I'm, I like hearing people's crazy stories in China, like myself. Yeah. So I just, I just interview people that anyone that has a crazy story, just a, any crazy story. I'm like, yeah, t- tell us about it. Like there's this Sunday, um, a friend of mine's brother is in town and he's going to tell me about, he, you know, I- ayahuasca, this plant yep. medicine. Yep. So he's apparently done. I like ayahuasca, the, these, this, these treatments like over a hundred times in China. Um, I don't believe it's, he lives in China now, but I don't believe he did it in China. That, that's no. a good question. Okay. Um, like, I don't uh, re- reading what I know about the ayahuasca. I don't think you're supposed to do it like a hundred times. But apparently- <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know if there's a limit on it. Because, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people that, like, at least in the, in the, the traditional sense, which is, like, medication, they, you know, the shamans would do it all the time. So I, I don't know if there's necessarily a limit on it, but it'll be interesting to see what effects that had if he's done it a hundred times. And, I mean, I guess it also depends on how frequently he did it. Like, a hundred times in what? In, like, ten years? Or, you know, is it a hundred times in, like, two years? Like, I think that's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, that's the, that's that's a story. Yeah. That's something. I, there's a lot of questions around that. So just characters like this, right? They're in China. and They've got some something interesting that brought them here. There's something interesting that they do here, right? I I, I just try to highlight that. I have, don't really have like a specific area that I focus on. Like I had one guy, uh, a friend of a friend. He referred me over to a guy not in China now. But he was, he was like doing some, he wasn't doing, he was doing something here, like wasn't doing, he was doing something illegal, mm. something illegal, right? And so I was like, oh, can you tell me like what happened? Cause he was detained. He was actually like a year, he disappeared. He was, you know, he was in jail. Oh, wow. So, so I was like, can you tell us the story? I just won't say your name. Like I'll, I'll choose a fake name. So he was like, yeah, sure, I'll tell you the story. So I gave him like a, a Skype call and recorded it. And um, yeah, interesting, really interesting. Like that's a story. I'm waiting to actually launch that one because it was quite interesting. I'll wait till, you know, the, it's a bit more refined. There's more, more subscribers and people like the, the itty gritty stuff. And then I'll, I'll pump that one out and see what people think. Well, if you want, if you want some uh, crazy manufacturing stories, my business partner would be an interesting person to interview because I mean, he first got to China in two thousand and eight. He's got some stories about you know factories where there was this this boss in Dongwan. He actually released an episode on our, our our show about it, but it was like a short, quick hit episode. We didn't go in depth, but there was a factory boss in Dongwan that he was doing business with for a couple of years, and this guy would always you know, when he'd meet 
you call Mike and be like, Mike, you need to come down. Let's have a business meeting. And Michael's like, well, can we just talk about this on the phone? And the guy's like, no, no, we need to in person, in person, you need to come to my factory. And then it would always be the same thing every single time they would meet, talk business for about five to 20 minutes. And then they'd end up partying for the rest of the day. <laughs> and uh, there was one time they went on a three day, like you went there and then they had a business meeting for 30 minutes and then they partied for three days straight. Um, and then there was a, there was a situation where he paid him a deposit for a product and you know, the guy kept pushing back and then eventually when he went, he just physically went to the factory. I think he, he found that the, the factory was closed. Um, and you know, he spoke to some of the people there and there was a couple other people and they, they said basically like this guy owed money to a lot of suppliers and used his deposit, the deposit that Mike paid to pay off people. Like it was almost like a Ponzi scheme type situation. Um, yeah, so I mean, he he went. He talked about that story. So like, yeah. And then I have another friend called uh, Akash. He's been on my podcast. He did. He had like we we did an in depth one hour episode. He's got like, he's had some of the craziest experiences. I think from a manufacturing perspective, like I I'm so perplexed when I hear some of the stuff that he's been through. But you know. And they still keep going, yeah. They're still yeah. At it. Still trucking, man. Like Akash, yeah. Like he's literally probably lost hundreds of thousands of dollars due to you know mishaps and <laughs> shit like that with factories. Uh, so I'm just like, yo, know, I, I just, I don't, I don't know how that happens, but yeah. And my business partner, he has just, just the longevity of being in China for that long, um, and then also being there back in 2008, 2009, 2010 when it was still really you know, wild, wild east and, you know, a lot of rules, lots of handshake deals on multi-million dollar orders. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, we would never do that now. Back in the day. Right. And that's the, that's kind of encouraging too, because everyone who really hustles and has done quite well, they all have a, a story. They've got maybe not just one, maybe they got a few, a few, you know, stories where shit really hit the fan. And, um, you, you know, that's something I thought about. I was like, well, it's not actually that bad, right? I'm, mm. I'm, you know, like, you know, when I, this, this happened, when this, um, this, you know, when I found out, oh, I can't leave this country, I have a case. And until I figure this case out, I can't go back. I can't see my family. I can't go see my friends overseas. Like I'm stuck in this country until I figured this case out. When I figured that out, you know, I thought like, okay, um, you know, this, this is just, I just really need to think about how to do this. Right. And I raised money on crowdfunding, right? Yep. And crowdfunding, I, I specifically, I didn't want to bail out. I didn't want people, I didn't want people to pay me, pay me off. Like, Oh, just let's pay the guy off and that's done. I was like, no, no, no. I'm going to raise money and I just need to, to, to hire a legal team to fight this guy. I just want people to, to, to I want to raise money to fight this guy, not to, not to get off, you know, scot-free. Um, but other than that, like I raised the money, got to the, got the legal team. I said, okay, you guys, let's fight this case, get the case reopened. Let's go. Like, I don't mind being in a case. I don't mind being in an open case. My, I'm, you know, I've, I, I've been in, you know, some pretty tough battles in my life. I don't, like, I don't mind as long, 
but I don't want to be guilty. I don't want, I want a fighting chance. Right. Mm-hmm. But I, I have the ability to raise money. Everyone has this, you know, if you were, if you wake up, you have your, you know, good, strong coffee, you can usually figure things out. Right. And I've talked to so many people with similar things. They're like, yeah, yeah that's life goes on. You got to keep trudging along. So, you know, and I've actually got a lot of opportunities thrown at me during this time because I put my face out there because I, you know, put my out there and said, guys, this is what's happened. Like first let's get some, can I get some advice on this? You know, can I get some support? Can you share this? People like that. They like that you come forward. They respect it. Right. Yep. Also, I mean, uh, yeah, going, going off of that, I mean, obviously from a publicity standpoint, I mean, I didn't know who you were, <laughs> even though we were maybe one, one person removed. Like I've known Michelini for eight years and, uh, I'm, and you've known him for a long time as well. But uh, that connection was never made until this situation happened. And then beyond that, like I think you recently spoke to a friend of mine uh, called Alan. He's based Alan. out of Hong Kong. I'm wearing his shirt right now. Yeah. So yeah. he, I think he found, I think he learned about you through either my podcast or Michael McLean's podcast. And, uh, yeah, that's right. And then he yeah. asked me recently, like uh, we, we had a call because we, we started a second business together recently, but um, we were on a call and he asked me, he's like, Hey, do you know, you know, John Graham? I was like, yeah, he's been, he's been on the podcast a couple of times. And he asked me to sort of give him, my perspective on you and everything. And then, you know, it was like things like that. It's just this whole situation. There's a lot of positives that can come out of it. I think he wants you to potentially be an influencer for his, for his, for his, uh, for his athletic apparel brand, right? Yeah. Earned athletic, this brand. I really like it. I'm where he, he sent me the shirt and I just picked it up right now. It's great. It's fantastic. It's He's very smart, right? He's good at building a brand, getting the right quality. Like, I've been in China for a long time, but I have no idea how you can source. Like you guys with, the, with being able to source and knowing manufacturing, like I, it's, it's, it's like a black hole for me. I have no idea what's, what that is all about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I'm very much a front person, right? I don't know all these, these you know, all the, the back, the back the, all the back um, deals and everything that you do in China. How do you get product here? How do you source to this factory and move this and do that? And I'm, yeah, you guys are very, very, I'm, I'm impressed. So that, that being said, so what are you doing now? Obviously you have the podcast. Um, you had white collar fight nights uh, or have, how has that been affected by the, the coronavirus? Yeah, there's no events going on now. And I don't think there will be until at least until December. But um, something about UCFN, about the fight night, um, a lot of people, a lot of people, obviously that's what I'm known for the, the most, right? That's what I promote, right? As a promoter, if you're doing something like a fight night, it's like Dana White, you always have to be talking about it, right? So I kind of, the, the identity that I have is, is primarily um, is, a, is a fight promoter, right? That's how I, you know, managed, I developed a relationship with UFC China and I promoted their event. And now I'm, you know, I'm quite tight with them there. But actually, the WCFN, the, the function that it serviced was more just opening doors, right? And building a network. Because a lot of people get interested in something like a fight night in, you know, in an event, people fighting. And, and you're able to collect a lot of, um, a lot of network. And in these, you can, you know, 
can be for other businesses that are, are not so, I, I don't really put them on the front, right? Um, but what I mainly do is, is, is uh, fitness tech. And those are what I'm primarily involved in is fitness tech and content creation for, for fitness companies. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of that, that those, those are the businesses that are behind the WCFN, right? You know, merchandise, things like this. There's a, there's a new company that I'm working with now. Um, they have a, a pair of boxing gloves and inside them, there's a tracker, like a boxing tracker and you can fight, you can punch the air you can punch a bag or you can even spar and all the data goes to your phone. You can see all the statistics about of your performance on your phone just based on what's the tech inside these gloves. Pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Nice. That's good, man. So overall, uh, you're going to be focusing on that and then I guess trying to figure out how you're going to uh, take the experience and, and, and sort of document it and, and, put it into something that people can, can learn from? Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, mini, the mini documentary. What's the first thing you're going to do once you're able to leave China? Like, I, I guess you're going to go home first or? Yeah, I mean, I'll call, I'll call a bunch of my buddies and I'll be like, let's go to Hong Kong and riot. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then go to Macau and riot. <laughs> just air a hole through Hong Kong and Macau. Um, yeah, probably I'll, I'll take my girlfriend to Thailand, Kopi, uh, and then I'll go see my parents in Australia. Nice. Go see mom, go see mom and dad, right? Gotta see, gotta see the folks. But yeah, I wouldn't say I have like a, a destination waiting for me. It's not like, oh, you know. And then do you see yourself like, with this whole experience, do you see yourself staying in China long term, or do you see yourself trying to transition outside of China? I'm, I'm kind. Of, I am very. I'm open, but for the time being, China still is is a, a fantastic place to be. I mean, after with, with this virus and everything, you can see how China. Um, you know, it, it's right now Shenzhen is completely back to normal. There's traffic jams. You know, elevators are packed. Everyone, everyone's trying to get back to work. So the hustle is on, right? Mm. Um, there's business happening, right? So China is still the place to be. There's a lot of opportunity here. Um, and I'm actually starting a new business um, that my partner wants to keep very, very hush-hush. We're not allowed to talk about it, but it's very exciting, really exciting. It's right up my alley. It's everything, you know, it might be the business that, um, yeah, the, my, that my the one that retires me and retires my kids. <laughs> yeah, so, that's exciting. Nice man. So, uh, is there anything that we didn't talk about that you wanted to touch on? No, that's all good. Thanks so much for the for the opportunity to get on and share. Everybody listening, yeah, be be careful, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Is that is that the phrase? Is that how it goes? Uh, it's, the, it's the first time I heard that. <laughs> uh, is there is there anything that we didn't uh, we didn't talk about or how how can people reach you if they want to learn a little bit more or talk to you yeah i mean if if people really are want uh want to get involved in the 
stuff I do, like fitness, tech, influencer, business, content creation, things like this. It'd be great if everyone could go to LinkedIn. I, I use LinkedIn a lot. I, I use that. That's probably the one I use the most for communication, for, you know, uh, for sh exchanging, you know, uh, network. Um, and yeah, the pod just, so of course, just John Graham Harper, my, um, podcast the jg show is getting better it's becoming more refined and um my equipment is being upgraded you know step by step so that's you'll, you'll see some good listening there and the jg show also i'm also building out my youtube i like creating content it's just it's a way of sharing them you, you know what you do how, what you what you're passionate about and there's value that comes from it right so yeah, I, I like to keep doing it, getting the message out, getting my message out. So yeah, dinner podcast for sure. Would love to connect with anyone and any everyone. All right, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for being on. I won't keep you on too long. And guys, if you want to reach out to us, it's podcast at sourcefinancial.com. You can check out the show notes at sourcefinancial.com slash made in China. And I'll see you guys next week.